We are in a series called Your Best Life, an alternative vision, kind of a little cheeky title. The idea uh, really simply being um, make, trying to make sense and name what are the key values, uh, a recalibration for our community. There's been a book, and I want to encourage you, um, I think there's one maybe down here. If not, no, there's not. I'm just going to turn this over here. Yeah, you got one? Oh, can I grab that? This book, this little purple book, this was written by uh, my friend John and uh, another pastor in his community named Susie, and they put this together. Uh, John has been somebody uh, in New York City who's been just a, a kind of a mentor from afar and somebody who's really helped us in the early stages of our community. And uh, we're just really aligned. And when he had put this kind of internal resource, this is sort of an internal book for their church together, uh, I thought, wow, what a great, he had sort of captured some of our key values in a really compelling way. Um, and so uh, we've been using this. Our home groups have been going through this. So we've been preaching it, and they've been reading and going a bit deeper on the subject of the things that have been happening on each value, and then having some real robust discussions around this. Uh, and so even if you've missed this or you are in a home group, I want to encourage you, these are at the next steps bar, to go and pick one up. Uh, if you don't have money on you or the credit card thing isn't working, just just grab one and put it pay for it later. We'd love um, to, to get these into people's hands, uh, not just so they sit on your bookshelf, but just so you have a more robust understanding of uh, who we are and where we're going. In particular, what I've loved about this resource and what we've tried to do in these messages is uh, really help understand not just who we want to be, but what's happening in our world. What, are the, uh, what is the contested space that we live in? What is a recognition of no one is just starting at a neutral place? We are all being discipled, whether you realize it or not, into a particular way of being in the world. And so how do we name that? It's really hard uh, to move into greater life if we don't recognize where some of the death or some of the confusion or lack of clarity is. So uh, that's all I have for that. Um, we are in week two, so we've been spending two weeks on each of these values. We started with the gospel and talked about identity, then talked about community, and now we're talking about mission. And then we'll spend our last two weeks with Vision Sunday in the middle talking about power. And so this is week two of mission, and we wanted to talk, there's all sorts of places we could go. And how great was the last two Sundays, by the way? I was just talking with the team. There is something that has been happening across our churches. Me being, I've been around here and at the east side. And it's just, there's been a, a really just catalyzing just movement of the spirit. And seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing people just be reinvigorated in the way of Jesus. Uh, doubling down, recommitting, stepping in. Um, in the fall, the festival last week, our kids team. There's just so much to celebrate. Um, and so something about though this mission and community talk side by side kind of stirred a, a, a desire in me to talk about one aspect of mission. And it's going to sound funny, but talk about stewardship a little bit. Talk about stewardship. And so for those of you who brought a friend today and you were like, there's only two things I don't want Pastor Andrew to speak on, hell and money. Congratulations, you got one of them today. I want to talk a little bit about money. And so if you're new with us, you're brand new to uh, the, the way of Jesus or brand new to church, you may already find yourself a bit triggered. I just want to encourage you, just maybe a posture that you might want to consider for the next few minutes as I share, is think of this as looking in on a family discussion about how we move with integrity in the world. Think of this as looking in on a church who desires to steward resources well in a way that our generosity is missional. 
that it shines like the stars in the sky, that somehow the way in which we give of ourselves and our time and our money help point people back to Jesus. I, I did a lot of reading this week um, around just how the early church, just what happened in those first couple hundred years and how things just just exploded out of a, a small, tiny, oppressed sect within Judaism and became uh, what it became. And in a minute, we're going to talk a little bit about this. But it was, it was sociologist, historian after historian after historian, like studying this from people who are followers of Jesus to people who are farthest from that, as you can imagine, all commenting on the, like the thing that came up over and over was charity, giving, generosity. It was incredible how giving these people were in a culture with that sort of altruism and charity just didn't exist. And so uh, my hope today is that um, we are gonna put God first. And my hope is that in doing that, we are gonna find ourselves moved by his generosity. So if you would, um, there's a big map on the screen. If you could pull that up, Tino. We're gonna spend some time talking about this map and go on a little journey together. Our main text today is gonna be 2 Corinthians 8, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but I wanna start here. The early first church, the first, one of the first accounts we get of this is in the book of Acts, and it says this. In verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Phil, Tommy, Barty, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together in constant prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Apparently his brothers started to believe that their brother was actually the son of God, which is a miracle in and of itself. Church starts, then we read here, in Jerusalem. So bottom right-hand corner, Jerusalem. This is where our journey begins. This is the foundation where, where the, the story of this outpost of heaven, the church, begins. And then we begin to head up the beach a bit to Cyprus. The message starts to transcend tribes, Acts 13, 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Then they go to Salamis and they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So we see uh, Salamis, and they begin to move up the coast. And so now it started to spread well beyond. Remember, by the way, there are no automobiles. There are no trains. Um, that bit of landmass isn't like a four-hour car ride. These are days and days and days journey. It keeps spreading. Acts 17, right? The nature of this message is that it just seems to naturally want to spread. It begins to go beyond what you're seeing here in these different cities. It's just going beyond customs. It's going beyond different tribes and different traditions. It may have started in Jerusalem, but the nature, it seems, of the message is that it is transcending tribal customs. When Paul and his companions had passed through, um, I always say this one wrong, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And you can see it keeps going and going. And we are jumping people groups and jumping traditions. Something about this message is transcendent. It, 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 it is adaptable. It is resonating. 
verse 15, those who escorted Paul brought him then to Athens. Look how far we are. We're a long way once we get to Athens. We are a long way from Jerusalem. And then we get to Philippi. However, I considered my life, it's, Paul says in Acts 20, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim this is Paul going on this journey. My only aim is to complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In case there's any confusion about what Paul is doing, we're going to read about Paul is taking an offering. Paul's going around and collecting money. We're going to read in a minute for Jerusalem. But what we, we read here in the same book, in the same path, in the same journey, that what Paul is ultimately doing is he is testifying to the good news of God's grace. By the way, church, just as a side note, this is what we're all about. Testifying to the good news of God's grace. Sanctuary Church, what do you get passionate about? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. Yeah, but where do you like land on this particular doctrinal issue? Yeah, we can talk about that, but our main aim is testifying to the good news. This is the task that we have. Testifying to the good news of God's grace. That we are loved, known, seen directly and exactly where we are at. That there is nothing we can do to earn his favor. Them getting down into this baptismal tub, just to be really clear for those of you who are kind of like, I think I was on the fence there for a minute of maybe like coming and joining in this. Is this... The one thing I needed to make sure they both understood was not they have arrived at a point of sinlessness and they have arrived at a point of having their life together that they now can step into this tub. No, what I wanted to make sure is that they were very, very clear that their king, they were making Jesus their king and what this king is like is a king filled with grace. A king who doles out unmerited favor. Can I get an amen? What do you get passion about? As we're talking about mission, passionate about testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want to humbly submit, and this maybe is where the sermon needs to end for most of us today. In light of talking about mission these last two weeks. Is if this is not the passion of your heart, why? We read last week, right? It's Christ's love compels us. It is because we know how loved we are. We know how the story ends. Right, we hear maybe um, the, the words of Revelation echoed in Dr. King. How long till the world gets not, not long, not long. How long? Not long. God's going to put it together. This hope I have is a living hope. There's an anchor behind the veil. There's something God is doing in the world, and I know I am loved and set free. I know I have no fear of death, and this is the main point of my life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this may sound peculiar. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got to check yourself. I got to check myself all the time. Why is this not front and center? My only main purpose testifying to the good news of God's grace. So back to our map. There's something difficult happening in Jerusalem. There is a great persecution that breaks out. We're told elsewhere that people are trying to kill Paul. I don't have time to get into all the backstory as to why this is happening, but suffice to say, the people in power do not like this movement which is why the way of Jesus always gets funny when it gets bastardized and it becomes some heretical version of itself and moves into politics and power. It never looks like itself anymore. It's just not what it is. And so we see the way of Jesus disrupting the status quo. We see the way of Jesus shaping and altering and moving in the world in such a way that it is causing disruption and it's actually moving into persecution because there's religious warfare going on. Because there's issues with Roman power and a bunch of people saying Jesus is Lord when Rome is trying to pound into everybody's head that Caesar is Lord. 
they're co-opting this language, right? And I like to try to figure out a new way to communicate this kind of thing sometimes because I know we just kind of hear it and it rolls off our tongue. This isn't a perfect analogy, but it's close. And this is going to ruffle some feathers, but, and I know it's a little more complicated than this, but it would just be all of us really right now just committing, I will never say the Pledge of Allegiance again. I acknowledge that there are people who will be in the White House. I get that, but they are really not my leader, and I am not first and foremost an American. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. Just to be clear, that doesn't really even touch the severity of what's happening here. That's not a dig on the good things of our nation before anyone gets all upset at me. But it is a reality as followers of Jesus is where our allegiance arrives, and it's radical. So if you have any part of you that went, oh, in that, you've been sold a watered-down version of faith. Okay, this has nothing to do with my talk. I love it. The great persecution is broken out. And so we learn in 1 Corinthians that there's a collection for the Lord's people. The people in Jerusalem, where this whole movement started, there's a lot of pain going on there. There's persecution and people are hurt and they're losing money. And it's, there's a, there's, I mean, there's just, they're poor, they can't get jobs. All sorts of people have speculated. We read things in scripture. We know a lot of things from historical accounts of what happened. Some people believe that a famine hit. Um, just a mess of a situation. So where the whole church started, which is now spread all the way up there, upper left, Macedonia, that's where we're going to bring in our text in a moment. It, it has gone that far at this point. And Paul's like, we got to help. We got to help home base. The mothership is in trouble. And so Paul starts to take this long journey and he begins to let people know, hey, I'm coming. Would you get some offering together? Would you get some money together? Because we got to take care of the family. And something happens in the course of this collection. He instructs the church in a city called Corinth to take up the offering. And they haven't done it yet. And we know this from 1 Corinthians. They've said, yeah, we're in. We're going to help. But they haven't actually taken it in. Right? Anyone know anything about that? I've pledged a bunch of money. I've pledged the funds, but I'm not, I actually haven't given it yet. You know, I'm still praying about it. You know, I said I'd give it, but I haven't given it yet. That's not a dig at something in our church, by the way. Just assuming if you're anything like me, right? So they've pledged us money and they haven't given this yet. So apparently, we don't know exactly the details, but he seems to have skipped the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches are Gentile, so they're not Jewish. They're outside, very far outside culturally, what's happening in Jerusalem. But also we, re- we've, we heard that there is a great persecution that's broken out And there is great poverty in particular that is happening in Macedonia. So they are unbelievably poor. That area up to the left is unbelievably poor. Paul's traveling through. He's about to come to the church in Corinth. And it appears as though, we'll get to this in a minute, that he's skipped Macedonia because he's like, look, I'm not going to ask them for money. Right? It's like you're trying to gather some money to help somebody out. And like, you're not going to go to your friend who you know is already flat broke and be like, oh, can you pitch in on this? When you're like, we should probably be taking an offering for you too. Right? So he just doesn't, it it appears as though he doesn't do this. Everybody knows that they don't have money. Right? They can't write the check and don't want to make them feel guilty. And so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth who said they would help but hadn't collected the money yet. And Paul writes to them saying, I'm going to be there soon on my way to Jerusalem. And then he lets them in on some news. So if you're going to this church, they have some resources that said they were gonna collect them, haven't collected them yet, and he's about to roll in, and then he shares this in 2 Corinthians 8. Brothers and sisters, so he's writing to this church in Corinth. Y'all following me? 
Sorry, a little history lesson, old school Bible study this morning. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty, already it's weird. In the midst of of, of going through a severe trial with extreme poverty, but because, you know, naturally of their overwhelming, overflowing joy, it welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us, now us as his traveling group of leaders, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Wow, right? The church in Macedonia is like, we want in on that. Don't skip. It's like your poor friend being like, no, 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 I know I'm broke, but I can figure it out. I want in on that. I want in on that. They pleaded. They pleaded with him. Right, Paul has an awkward moment here. He's got to go. He's got to go through Macedonia with all this money. He's going to arrive in Corinth and be like, hey, guys, I know you promised something, but you know your poor brothers and sisters up north? They, uh, they kind of took care of you. Like he has an opportunity right now to shame them, to drop the hammer, and he doesn't. How does he tell them? He says, I want to tell you about the grace that God gave them. I want to tell you about how God moved in their heart, how God stirred in them. He doesn't shame them. Money and volunteers they have, they take all the way to Jerusalem. The people in Macedonia haven't even met the people in Jerusalem. That's some church. We've gathered together. We are in extreme poverty. We've gathered together some money. We've gathered together some resources. we put some time together because we got a long journey ahead to go serve a bunch of people who are outside our tribe who we've never met. That's some church. Is it not? From the beginning of the story of the church, there was an implicit spirit of generosity. From the very beginning, there was this understanding of what it was, of this is just who you, uh, how you operate in the world. They were in Christ. Christ, for God so loved the world, God is implicitly generous. Some of these people didn't even know like the ancient Jewish story leading up to, to all. I mean, we don't know what they knew, what they understood of the whole narrative of God. All they knew is that something new was happening in the world. And when they began to hear that Jesus was king, N.T. Wright says they started to, to well up with, with love and with generosity and with a kind of freedom that others didn't have. It was like hearing the declaration, the gospel, that Jesus was king, that Jesus is on the throne, that he's making all things new. It began to pull them into their future versus being just sort of pushed by their circumstances. Anyone else need to get pulled this morning into their future? Paul doesn't shame them. He says there has been a grace on them. Their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. A few observations. You can have barely any money and be really, really rich. You can have lots of money and be quite poor. Maybe not a new observation to some of you. But their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, produced joy. Your spirit can be wide and generous and you can be so rich. 
when you understand the generosity that's been lavished on you. I know some people who have a whole lot of money and their spirit is very small. Or they don't feel like they have a lot of money because they built their life just to hit this particular <laughs> budget line when they don't recognize the opportunity for stewardship and generosity that's theirs. Money and generosity are two different things. Maybe you could say it like that. Money and generosity are two different things. Money and joy. Money and joy are two different things. Maybe some of us need to say, um, <laughs> I will not let my finances determine my joy. Anyone need that today? I wrote that down in my notes thinking like, it's kind of not the point of this passage, but I feel like someone needs to hear that. I will not, I will not let my finances determine my joy. And that goes for both sides of the equation, right? It goes with the burden of wealth and the burden of poverty. So anyway, back to these Macedonians. They want in. We want in. They have been graced. They know this is the way to life and they want in. And they begin to trust the words of Jesus that it is more, it says in Acts, they reference Jesus' words where he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know about you, but most of my life I've always agreed with that statement. Well, because it's Jesus too, because it sounds really good. But internally, I has not been a, my re, a reality, right? Anybody else? It is better, you will be happier when you give than when you get. But we do kind of know this to be true if you've ever been around it, unless you're really, really rough on the selfish spectrum. Uh, when you, <laughs> which might be you, that's okay. Grace. But Christmas, you know this, right? I don't know about you, but like I much prefer to give a present than to get one. It's like you see, especially when you start having kids, when you see your kids open the thing up and you're like, isn't this amazing? You're always let down because they're like, oh, cool, great. Oh, next. Or right, the old classic thing that my, my, my little girl Rowan does. She's just like, oh, that's an interesting toy. It looks too complex for me. Box. I've always wanted to actually do like wrap up the box. Just wrap up the box, put like a, I don't know, like make it like decorative and just tell her it's a spaceship. There's something about seeing the lights come on. When you, in your person, when your person, you find that person that you just, I, you, I, I want to make you smile and soar. And I know this is exactly what you need. And, and you just give. Jesus says it's better. It, it, literally the word here, how you would translate blessed in that section in Acts is happy. It is, you will be more happy giving than receiving. It's like the church in Macedonia got a vision of that. They're beginning to trust that Jesus is Lord and his way is best. And so they're just like, uh, it's like that new believer thing where all of a sudden they're like, wait, there's an offering going on? I like to think they like got the word and they're like, uh, uh, we went in. We know that's where the joy is. We know that where the beauty is. We know that's where the life is. We, we know. Because you can be very poor and very stingy. You can be very rich and very stingy. You can be very poor and very happy. You can be very rich and very happy. Uh, I just humbly submit to you, it comes down to your balance sheet and the generosity that exists therein. A lot of it. Blessed are those that give and receive. We should just take Jesus at his words, but it's always nice when social sciences line up and affirm ancient divine truth from Jesus. Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson in their books, The Paradox of Generosity, I think the quotes on the screen say this. 
People rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. Happiness can be the result of not spending more money on oneself, but rather of giving money away to others. Generous financial givers are happier people, as we will see. So while the money cannot buy happiness, giving it away actually associates with greater happiness. This is a pretty like extensive study that he did. They have begun to trust Jesus. And Paul wants to share their story with the church in Corinth. Paul doesn't drop law on them. You're not giving to the poor. You're not setting money aside. Paul doesn't say to the Corinthians, shame on you. You haven't even collected it yet. You know how broke they are. He doesn't say guilt. No, he doesn't bring authority. Pastors love to do this. Sorry if you come up in a church like that. Like, I am telling you, like, get the money together. Paul could have come in. I told you. He has that lever to pull. He says even later on, I'm not commanding you, but I just want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So it's a little passive aggressive, right? Let's be honest, Paul. <laughs> is I'm not commanding you. I'm just, I, I just want to tell you a story. <laughs> he, doesn't, he just doesn't do that unhealthy, though, comparison. Why can't you be more like your sister? She does her homework. Like, why can't you be more like? No, Paul knows, only knows grace given in free will. Paul only knows joy. He has so many hammers to bring. He could say, do it because God commands it. You will be joyful. And at the prime moment, he simply trusts that the Spirit of God can grab each heart. He trusts that. So side note, because this has been the sermon of side notes. Sometimes people ask me why I am not more heavy-handed. I've been asked this regularly about certain things. And let me answer this clearly. <laughs> I wrote this down. Because I am interested in the transformation of the human heart. And if I use coercion, I could get in the way of the transformation that the Spirit wants to bring. My experience has been people might follow some hard orders, but we wouldn't know if it was real. We are interested in whosoever wants it. Interested in your heart being so transformed that you can't imagine doing anything but the right thing. When generosity and love and beauty and demonstrating and announcing the good news in all its ways is just the most normal thing imaginable. I'm interested in the heart being transformed. I'm interested in people coming and giving joy. Paul doesn't say, you better have that money together. He goes, let me tell you a beautiful story about what happened in their hearts and what happened in their bank accounts. Let me tell you the story. I have found that when people get a revelation that the way of Jesus is the best life, is the best possible way to live. When they get a revelation of that way of Jesus, it does more than temporarily alter their behavior. It sparks a movement. Anyone else that's been true of you? Anyone else? You're in a season where you feel like a little distant from God, but the reason you're still like here and around is because you know what God's done and you know it's you that's, that's, that's gotten distant, not God. Anybody? Right? That's part of it. It's not like you stay always on that emotional, like whatever, that fever pitch high, but you just, I'm still coming out. I want in because I know where the life is. And just because I've gotten distant and just because I've gotten out of habits or whatever it's been, I'm back in, baby. This is what happened. So final thought. 
Verse three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave beyond their ability. The Greek here is hooper dunamas. Can you say hooper dunamas? This is a funny word. Hooper dunamas. Hooper is where we get the word hyper. And dunamas is where we get the word essentially where in English, the word dynamite. Like they could, they gave what they could. And then it says even beyond. And so I just wanted to have fun with the language for a minute. I just thought like, oh, we should get a hashtag going today. And it's just like hashtag hyper dynamite. It sounds stupid, I know, but like, just go with me for a minute, right? Like, they, they, they knew what they had, but like, no, 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 but they, 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 they had the hyperdynamite. Like, they knew where the power was. They knew that God is a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. Like, they knew that there was more. Like, they, they knew that God could do something in their heart that maybe they didn't think that it would be happening. That God could use them in a way that they were not aware of. Let me tell you what the Macedonians did These people in extreme poverty were capable of stunning generosity. Look, the Bible is full of normal broken people who find out through the power of God that they are capable of extraordinary things. Some people think the best way to get people into the kingdom is like let them know how bad they are, how good Jesus is, and then they'll get it. And that's been the journey for some folks. Okay, whatever. But I find over and over and over in the New Testament, it's Paul, it's other writers, as they've encountered Jesus, they are going like, do you know what God's done for you? Do you know how good he is? Do you know what you're capable of? And so you see people in extreme poverty, in the most broken of severe trial, going, hyperdynamite, I know my God. I know what I'm, what's capable, what we're capable of. I know what it is to be a part of a bigger story. I know what it is to be a part of a bigger story. So a few assumptions here. The ch- this is a church focused on what they have versus what they don't. I want to bring this home for a minute. This is a church, the church in Macedonia, that is focused on what they have versus what they don't. Does anyone else need that for today? Is that the word that you need to take away for today? Am I focused more on, on, on what I have versus what I don't? All I, Andrew, you don't even know. All I have is this financially. I don't even have, all I have is this time. Do you know how many kids are running around? I think I still have poop on my hands. Like, do you know what? <laughs> that was just for the parents in the room. Everyone else is like, what is wrong with? <laughs> do you know, like, all I have is, all I have is, all I have is. I'm not one of these power of positive thinking people, but I'm telling you, you gotta trust a different story, what you do have and what you do have in Christ. And lean into that and speak that over your life. You actually have both. Yes, there are hard things. But do you recount and are you careful to name what you have? Focus in on what is available to you. What do you have? What is in your, in your, in your life? All we have here is, what, three, four hundred people across our couple churches? That's all we got. What could God do with three, four hundred people in the city of Providence? One of the most post-Christian cities in the country. What, what could God do? That's all we got. That's a lot more than the church in Macedonia had. Numbers and money. All we have. No, no, no. Are we zeroed in on, on, on what you have? Because it matters. And are you stewarding that? Because you have more than you think. You have more than you think. What you have is more valuable than you think. This community, this shared life together, what you have in Jesus, the access to God. Remember, in Macedonia, these were these small churches gathered together. 
These small communities gathered together. It's in those kinds of communities, right, that we can see radical generosity, hyperdynamite happen. We've seen it often as there are home groups who fast regularly from buying a meal or buying a coffee. They collect the money and they go around blessing people. This is a thing that one of our home groups does. We can see this as we have built bridges and wells in the Congo and have seen unbelievable breakthrough happen in partnering with other churches around this country to help out, which we'll, we'll highlight when Christmas rolls around here, of what's been happening in the Congo. Our church is a part of that story. We could go through the laundry list of things that are happening within foster care, the amount of money that's going out for people paying rent and needs. Like, are we aware and dialed in to what God is up to and the access that we have uh, to each other to be people who are pouring out in generosity? able to provide and be provided for. We have these broken doors in our house. Um, or sorry, we had these doors that were broken for most of the first year. They just didn't shut all the way. It's one of those things like this is the last thing I'm worried about. All our upstairs doors, they just like, you bring it all the way up and something wrong with the hinge and you just let it go. It won't really latch. It'll just pop open and swing. And so I, I, just within an hour, a buddy of mine, we finally like let my buddy Dave know about this. He's like, oh, I could fix this. I know, I know how to do this. So Dave comes over and he fixes a year-long problem in about an hour and a half, right? In community, some of you have problems that will get fixed in 15 minutes or a short amount of time when you get around other people. Like you have more than you think. You follow me? Like you have more than you think. I like to think what happened in these house churches in Macedonia where they knew each other and they knew how to care for one another and they knew what was available to them and they had access to them. Because remember, they had a vision of testifying to the grace of Jesus, testifying to the good news. And this gets put on display. We have a larger church made up of different congregations. Sanctuary Eastside has the potential to, to, to just given the people that live in that neighborhood, what it costs to live in that neighborhood, like have the capability of giving much more than people who are at, let's say, Sanctuary North. That's not across the board, but that's a real reality. All right, our neighborhood is cut up around tax brackets there are tax lines that make our city, uh, the way money is distributed, incredibly unfair. We have an opportunity as a church to redistribute some funds, right? We even make sure that the church, it's not like the needs ministry at the east side would be really, really big. We got thousands of dollars to give away to people. And no one's, there's not a whole, there's not as many needy folks, let's say, over on the east side than there are over here. Well, we get to redistribute and shift some money around. Like we have an opportunity, we have more than we think, we have more than we think and more capability to serve and bless this neighborhood and this world. I could go off on that, but I'm running out of time. <laughs> My last question is, are you stewarding what you have? This church in Macedonia clearly understood what it was to steward. Living below your means, an ancient principle that is countercultural to capitalism. Are you living below your means? Are you tithing? I know your theology of tithing, I can make a bunch of snarky comments about that, I won't, but are you giving a regular income? Are you saying like the first fruits? This is a principle that predated the law, right? If you wanna be a New Testament giving church, you really should just get rid of all of it. <laughs> Jesus says, the Lord bakes this principle in, like giving away the first fruits, the first things you get, like section some stuff off because it's good for your soul and you need to break the idol of greed and you need to remember to do that regularly. And why not break it by giving it into the movement of what God's doing? Are you saving your money? Is there any... You know, for us and our family, right? It's like there's 10% that goes to the church, 10% that goes to, into a savings account, and then 80% is our budget. Are we regularly monitoring what we have? If we want to be people who give long-term, 
I'm not about to go into a whole Ramsey course right now. I'm not going to do that. But I say this because it's important. We need to not just go, yeah, I want to be more generous, Lord. But like this actually comes down then to brass tacks. Like how do I free up money that I am able to give away? I've got enough money. I remember, oh, this, this teenager was just stirred in her heart years ago in church in this youth group to give money. And she knew that there was a homeless person she saw almost every week. And she saved and just made sure she had enough money, whatever she didn't buy or did buy. And it wasn't even her money in the first place. It was mom and dad's money. It was like she was pocketing money they gave her for like a coffee on the way to school. And said she would go and buy a pizza for this guy on the regular. Just like I need, she needed to save. She needed to know where the money was coming from, make sure she didn't spend it over there, live underneath her means. I don't need that coffee and I have an opportunity to do this. Are we just thinking strategically? So that we can be people who give mightily. A lot we could say about money management, but the first things first is are we focused on what we have? And is our heart set on Jesus' way for using what we have? Remember our giving liturgy? We read every week. If you notice, we didn't read it today. There's nothing we have. What? If you're new with us, we read this reading every week about our, around our giving. There's nothing we have that we have not received to spend everything on ourselves to give without sacrifice. That's the what? Walk the way of, it's death. That's not where the life is. It's just not good. Again, for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus, I could make this appeal based on social sciences alone. It's not good to live that way. There's all sorts of health things that are even linked to a life that is not implicitly generous. Never mind that Jesus says, oh man, there is blessing for those who step in with their finances and join the movement. But generosity is the ways of those who call Jesus their Lord, who love with free hearts, testing you, and serve with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of what? Riches. I No, this is delusion. I'm not, none of that I'm get to take with me. None of that. What am I saving for retirement? It's okay to save for retirement, by the way. <laughs> but is that the main aim? I'm going to work really hard till I get to 65 and so I can stop. And so when I have the most, like, wisdom, the most time on my hands, and often the most resources, then I'm just going to get really selfish and, like, go to Florida and stare at Mickey Mouse. Like, no! Christians don't do that. Christians don't retire. I mean, you could stop working that job that you hate, and that's great. But that should free you up to then even more so move into the call that God's put on your life. Oh, Lord. I'm going to get so much feedback about this sermon. We are determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that what? There is no needy person among us. We don't want there to be one needy person among us. We are trying our best to do that. Which is why on that story card, if you have some financial needs that you need, check that box. And the hope is that this would be decentralized more than ever. That in your groups you are able to go like, I, I need some help with rent. And that we don't have to centralize that money. That we are like, oh yeah, yeah I, got a, I actually got a bonus. That's so weird that you need $500 for rent because you had this stuff happen. I got a $500 bonus. We're like in Bible study together. Oh, let me just pray for you. Don't pray for them, give them the $500. God's already answered their prayer. Help. We are determined to be faithful stewards 
of such a little thing as money that we may join God in the work of renewal. Above all things, and here's where we're landing, we are determined to be generous because our Father is generous. It is the delight of his daughters and sons to share their father's traits and to show what he is like to all the world. You see, we talk about generosity and mission. This wasn't just like a sneaky way to put a money sermon in. No, 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 because when we read about what happens in the early church, Tim Keller reminds us in in analyzing Rodney Stark's work, he says the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The, The society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically everybody their body. The Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. Christianity revitalized life in Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of relationships able to cope with all the urgent urban problems. The cities filled with the homeless and impoverished. Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To the cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new way and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. That paragraph was not written by a Christian. That was written by somebody going, this seems to just be what happened. When we talk about being people who are demonstrating and announcing Jesus is king, well, in this kingdom, in this family, in this tribe, this is how we roll. We roll with radical generosity. Healthy churches on healthy mission happen when we acknowledge the stunning generosity of God. God has been generous with us, yes? Amen, I'm ending right now. We're okay, we okay? We've got a few more minutes on us. God has been generous with us, has he not? From our breath, from our breath, he woke you up this morning, some of you. To the gift of Jesus, we are recipients of an extraordinary gift. And so everything starts there. I wanna invite the communion servers up. And there's gonna be two baskets here for our offering. We sometimes do this and bring communion and offering together. There's offering info that'll be behind me on the screen if you want to text that in. Some of you, you give automatically and regularly. Maybe this is a moment where you're going, I, I, I need to, to up that. Or maybe today's the day I need to start regularly tithing. I, I don't know. I have no issue. I have no desire to coerce anybody into that. But I, what I want to invite you to consider as we come forward and take the bread and dip it in the cup is that we would be touched and hit and struck by God's generosity. This is God pouring his generosity out on us. His body broken and his blood poured out for us. The love of God poured out on us. The greatest act of love the world has ever seen. How could we not respond by breaking ourselves open and pouring ourselves out? And today, maybe that looks like what happens in here. Maybe that happens as we come forward and we go, in light of this bread and cup that I'm about to take, Lord, I text this, I drop this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's come forward. We're gonna line up in the middle aisle. 
and we're going to end our time together taking communion. We're going to end our time eating and drinking and giving together in one swift movement today. So would you come forward as we sing?